All right. Welcome into the click. I am your co-host, John Yetzi. We're going to try this out in audio format today for a change. Switching things up. We're going to see how this goes. First time doing this. I'm here with my good friend, co-host, and $500 poorer, soon-to-be groomsman, David Lurie. Come Fresh on, man. Ass whooping he just took in the NCAA tournament draft in an awesome weekend in Nashville, celebrating my upcoming wedding this summer, uh, this past weekend. Dave, how's that for an intro? Look, man, the NCAA <laughs> tourney wins pool. It, it, it didn't go great. And I, I got to go back to the drawing board. I got to get better from it. But we're in NBA season now. This is my bread and butter. This is redemption right here. I, I can't wait to talk about the topic that we have planned for the day. Yeah, so today we're going to be diving into and ranking what's at stake for each team heading into these playoffs. We're recording this on Thursday night, April 14th. So at this point, we know Memphis will play Minnesota. We know Boston will play Brooklyn. The eight seeds will be determined by tomorrow night's games. But what we did is we broke the teams down into tiers. From tier one, these next two months are legacy-defining, down to tier seven. We just threw a massive party for beating the Clippers and qualifying for the playoffs, which was awesome, by the way. I absolutely loved it. I thought J.J. Redick had an awesome point about it. You should go check that out. But, you know, really trying to lay out just how important these playoffs will be for each franchise participating in them. We'll talk about some teams more than others, but how much is this going to matter this next few week stretch for these staffs, these teams, these players, and these fans? So kicking it off with tier seven, the we're just happy to be here tier. We got the Minnesota Timberwolves. We got the Toronto Raptors. And then if either the Pelicans or the Cavaliers were to win the games tomorrow night, they would fall into this category too. But the Timberwolves, you know, they qualified as the eighth seed in 2018 during the, the Jimmy Butler season. Besides that, this is their first time making the playoffs since KG led them to the Western Conference Finals in 2004. It's crazy. Uh, I loved what I saw the other night from Anthony Edwards. I think Chris Finch has done a fantastic job. So many role players on their team. They're just hard-playing guys that I like from – Vanderbilt to Beasley to McDaniels. Nas Reed, remember watching him play? Yeah, let's see. A few years ago, he gave him 22 important minutes off the bench in that win against the Clippers the other night. He's got a little role for himself. Coming off, coming off the bench, but you're happy to be here. You're, you're Minnesota. You're happy to be here. Enjoy the two additional home games you're going to get. I actually think there's a little bit of sneaky Wolves win a couple games potential here. I think so too. Enjoy it. I mean, and think about like, if, if you were an alien who came to planet earth and was just for whatever reason, tuned into TNT on, what was it? Tuesday night, Wednesday yeah. night, Tuesday night to watch the Clippers and the Wolves play. I mean, you're watching that game. You're, you're looking at the crowd saying, this is the most electric crowd I've ever seen for whatever sport that I am watching here. You're seeing Pat Beverly jump on the scorer's table, Anthony Edwards, not far behind him. You're like, whatever this team just won, this is a, a, huge deal like i don't know what this is but this is massive well what they got like you said the seventh spot in the first round of the western conference playoff not the biggest deal in the world and 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 i get it like a lot of people are teeing off on them going over the top on their celebration but i think i'm maybe i'm maybe going to subvert your expectations here the timberwolves they became a franchise in the 1989 to 1990 season. So this is their 32nd season in the history of their franchise. John, take a guess at how many playoff series victories they have in the entire history of the franchise. Maybe like three, four. They have two. 
and they were actually both in the same season, 2004. Shout out to Kevin Garnett. He was the MVP that year. They went to the conference finals and lost to the Lakers. Those are the only playoff series victories that the T-Wolves have ever. So if I'm going to give any franchise a mulligan for going absolutely ballistic for getting the seventh seed, it's them. I think you hit on every other point I would have had next year, even if they lose in the first round, they get to tune back into the Anthony Edwards show. The guy's absolutely electric. He's 20 years old. He's only going to get better. They're thrilled. They're thrilled with the season, regardless of what happens. I, I don't even know if there's anything else we need to say. On well, well, here's one more thing that I can add to the celebration the other night, because I can actually relate. I can truly relate to how the Minnesota Timberwolves fans feel as a Pittsburgh Pirate fan, as a lifelong <laughs> Pittsburgh Pirate fan who was born 10 days before the Francisco Cabrera slide in at home by the Braves that set off the streak where the Pirates did not have a winning season, not didn't make the playoffs, didn't have a winning season for the first 21 years of my life. My 21st birthday, you remember this, my 21st birthday, the Pirates qualified for the wild card game, the wild card game against the Reds. Russell Martin hitting a home run, Cueto, Cueto. Remember all that, right? And after the Pirates won that game, my dad drove into town so that we could watch the game together. It was during junior year of college. Like, it was this emotional release of, holy shit, the Pirates, for the first time in my life, have made the playoffs. And they lost to the Cardinals in five games in the first round. And, like, looking back, it's a bit of a disappointment of, you know, whatever. They, they barely made it in. They didn't make it past the first round. But I'll never forget that game after all those years of hardship, rooting for the team that was winning 60, 65 games a season through the slogs. Eight, you watch 82-game seasons for the Timberwolves and what? They're winning like 20 games a year, 25 games a year, 30 games a year. They're drafting in the top 10 all the time. you got the Johnny Flynn debacle right before Steph Curry. You've got all these examples over their franchise of just pain, pain, pain. The best player in franchise history, Kevin Garnett, can't achieve his full potential until he goes to Boston. Pain, pain, pain. And so then to have some modicum of success, true, genuine success, that was an awesome win the other night. There's just the emotional release of we did it. We won an important game when we needed to. It's been years since we did that. I, I completely get it. So I can actually – relate a little bit there the, the uh, pirates t <laughs> parallel is incredible yeah I, I was not expecting that yeah i mean i think there's a lot of similarities and uh you know those fans enjoy it take advantage of it the next few years because you could be back in purgatory right. for a long period of time if you don't or enjoy this the, could be the beginning we'll see yeah, maybe so but if you don't enjoy if you don't enjoy the wins you don't enjoy the successes you never know when they're going to come again especially when you're a franchise like the pirates or like the timberwolves that's had so many uh, hardships over the years. But anyways, moving on to the next team, let's touch on the Raptors a little bit. You know, eight of the last nine years, they won 48 games. Last year, uh, they were playing their home games in Tampa. You know, there's excuses and then there's reasons. And I think last year, uh, you can talk about the Raptors having a down year. It was a reason why they had a down year. Displaced, uh, playing in Florida, like I said, I think the way they've responded this year showed what we both kind of thought, which is that this is a franchise that finds ways it has staying power uh, it'll maximize and develop its talent I actually think that uh, they have a really good shot to beat the Sixers in round one especially with the knowledge that Thibault's not gonna be able to play the games in Toronto maybe Raptors fans have higher expectations for this group than we have for them entering into the playoffs but the growth of all five of their starters that they experienced this year especially Siakam 
second half of the year, Siakam was playing just as well as, you know, just about anybody. And adding Barnes to the draft, uh, that one down season, maybe it could end up being the best thing that, that happens to them in the post-Kawhi era Raptors. But they're a fun team to watch play. They just kind of lingered and lingered and lingered. And next thing you know, they're, <laughs> they're in the 4-5 matchup. Uh, I don't think anybody really wants to see them in the first round. If you told me that they ended up in the Eastern Conference Finals, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but I think that, generally speaking, when you go from a top five pick the year before to now you're in the fifth seed in the playoffs and you've had such kind of a fun out-of-nowhere season, you've watched your guys grow up in some respects, and you know that you're positioned to be contending moving forward, no matter what happens in Toronto this year, I think that the fans are going to be happy with the way the season played out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and a couple other things, they, their preseason over-under was 35 and a half wins. They got 48. So you can see how much they overachieved just like that. I think you touched on how much of a home run the Scotty Barnes pick was. Their core of their team, it's all in place contractually moving forward. They also have a lot of flexibility to swing a trade to like Fred Van Vliet's average annual value of his contract is 22 million. That's got to be one of the most tradable assets in the league, let alone keep him. And he's a great player. Uh, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent, they're all in like very manageable, tradable mid-level contracts. So I think this team has a lot of avenues to improve beyond this season as well. And then if you think about the front office and coaching combo of Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri, I mean, that's arguably the best combo in the league, you know, besides the weird COVID season that you elaborated upon. They've overachieved every single season. And the one season they had a true franchise superstar, they delivered a championship. So if you're a Raptors fan, you feel great about this season. You feel great about the franchise in general. And I think they clearly belong in this happy to be here tier. And I like that you said they can actually go on a run. Like they're only five games behind the one seed in the regular season standings. They had 48 wins. Miami had 53. So, I mean, they're not, they can compete. And, and I like their chances in, in giving Philly a, a big run and who knows from there. So congrats to the Raptors fans. I mean, they, they got to be feeling great. Yeah, they're, they're I, I really think they're the team. There's always one team that nobody wants to play. And I think most people maybe say that that's Brooklyn. I would say that that's Toronto. And I also think that the low-key underrated, hey, if you're not vaccinated fully, you can't play games in Toronto, which has kind of been a low-key story. Like I know that mm-hmm. it, something revolving around the Celts with maybe Jalen Brown and Al Horford. It was right. talked about. That's a little bit of a low-key factor if they can make a run here of, you know, there's been some guys that they could just say, oh, we're taking the night off and we play in Toronto that maybe didn't have to say that they were vaccinated or unvaccinated. But when it comes down to the playoffs, we know that if they can't play in Toronto, that that was the reason. And that could be a sneaky little little factor that isn't really being talked yeah. about. I'll touch on the Pels and the Cavs really quick. You know, if either one of them wins tomorrow night, both franchises are going to be fired up to be there. The Pelicans, it looked like they were going to be in for a year from hell. They made the McCollum trade. They played a lot better lately. I actually enjoy watching this version of their team play. Herb Jones, incredibly fun. It's fun to think about what a healthy Zion, what, what that team could look like. You know, David Griffin has done a pretty solid job there. They've kind of been unlucky with Zion's health issues. Zion last year when he was healthy was a freaking animal. Uh, you don't really know what that's going to end up looking like. The Cavs, the feel-good story of the year. I don't think they beat the Hawks tomorrow. I really think that the Hawks, the talent's going to end up winning out there. The Cavs have kind of fallen apart down the stretch a little bit ever since Jared Allen went out. You know, they dealt with injuries to Mobley. Garland missed a little bit too. Good job, good effort. Everyone should be excited and proud about, you know, how this year went. If they make it, great. Uh, they won't last more than five games max versus the Heat. But 
I think everyone uh, still reserves the right to be incredibly excited about what they've been able to do relatively quickly to get this thing turned around post LeBron. We both love Mobley, love Garland. Uh, Cavs have a, have a nice future. Anything you want to add and then move on to the next tier? I think you hit on most of it. I think the Cavs just get healthy, continue to watch the development of Garland and Mobley. Obviously, Jared Allen getting hurt tanked that season, but there's good promise there. Everything in New Orleans is dependent on Zion. We don't we don't know what's what's going on with him. Nobody does. Uh, he's almost like Kawhi and how difficult it seems to like access the guy and understand what's going on with him. Um, but if he comes back, then we have to rethink the ceiling of that team. And I'm really impressed by the way that they kind of you know backed their way into the play in tournament. Because didn't they start like four and I think they started four and sixteen on the season. They, it was they looked like the they looked like the default worst team in the NBA. So I give them a lot of respect for turning things around, uh, and I hope they can they can sprinkle in Zion in the future and you know blossom into what they're supposed to become. Um, I, let's jump to tier six. So this tier is called the one way ticket to purgatory, uh, and <laughs> we. We've included the Bulls and the Hawks. So sorry to Bulls and Hawks fans. I'll start with the Bulls. Um, they were a difficult team for me to you know, place. I think this is the perfect tier for them, though. But on one hand, on aggregate, they probably overachieved this season, at least to their preseason expectations. And at one point around the middle of the season, they looked like contenders. I think they were sitting in the one spot for a while. Um, but on the other hand, assuming that they lose to Milwaukee like we all expect, their season's really about to go down with the whimper. Um, at the same time, they're locked into this roster moving forward. And overall, the ceiling of the roster seems like a back end of the playoff type ceiling, uh, which can end up being one of the more demoralizing places to be, knowing that you might not have that championship contention level uh, within that unit. Like it's, at some point, you almost think like maybe it's better to hit a full on reset as a fan. So, um, another big thing impending for them is Zach Levine. He, his free agency is coming up this offseason. I wouldn't say based on watching their recent games that he seems like totally committed to the vibe of the team. Like, I'm not really sure what options are out there for him. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they bring him back. It just, they have a weird vibe. The Celtics destroyed them and like the body language of that team, especially when they were like in the hunt trying to chase down the five seed chasing Toronto like they, they just did not seem locked in at all in that game and so that's obviously a big domino uh, Zach Levine's essential part of what they're trying to build there and if he doesn't sign uh, then they probably have an even lower ceiling going into next year um, at the same time we can't put them in that high of a tier you can't say they have a ton of at stake you know the stakes are really never championship level expectations for this team uh, but this is a franchise that since the D Rose era, I think patience has got to be wearing thin. I think the Chicago Bulls really expect the team to be a contender. Um, they got a fun DeMar DeRozan season. He's going to be an all NBA guy, but the thrill of that individual season is going to wear off eventually. And then I think the whole situation is kind of borderline depressing. Once you, once you kind of get past that, the one silver lining I will give them they did get wrecked by injuries, Lonzo, Caruso, Patrick Williams. So if I'm a fan, I'm just thinking, okay, bring everyone back next year. And, and maybe the ceiling of this team is a bit higher than I'm giving them credit for, but any other thoughts from your end, John? I agree with everything you said. Uh, 
you know, you touched on it. This was a team that didn't have the highest of expectations preseason. And then the way that they started off, everybody's getting really excited about them. And then they kind of ended the year with a whimper. I looked at their stats against the, the top four teams in the East and in the West. So in November, on November 1st, uh, they beat Boston. And on November 10th, they beat Dallas. And those are their only two wins against teams that finished in the top four in the East or the West the entire season. They went 0-4 against the Bucks, the Heat, and the Sixers. They went 0-2 against the Grizzlies, the Warriors, and the Suns. And they split the games with Dallas and with, uh, and with Boston. Or excuse me, Boston beat them two out of three. So I think you add that all up if my math is right. It's like 2-21, and 21, I think is what they wow. went. Top four seeds in the East and in the West. Uh, I, I like that we call this the one-way ticket to purgatory because the Bulls, I just don't know what they do to make themselves level up from here. They got an unreal season from DeMar DeRozan. You know, we know kind of what they have with their starting group. Patrick Williams was hurt and he looked pretty solid when he came back. Uh, but I just like, is he, is he an X factor? Is Alonzo that much make that much of a difference that this is a team that's going to be a truly Eastern conference contender, NBA title contender. You mentioned Levine. I just, I'm not really sure. And, and it's hard to, it's hard to see where they kind of go from here. I'm not sure what the move to make is. I don't know how they go from a back end of the playoff team to a true legitimate contender. Uh, they're going to be picking in, you know, the mid range of the draft every year. They're not going to be great. They're not going to be bad. Um, I, I respect and appreciate them going for it. They're a proud franchise with a great history. They signed a bunch of free agents. They went for it. Uh, there was optimism, but I think that they've kind of settled into where they're going to be. And uh, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, yeah. the Hawks also in this tier, I think that they're similar. Like I think that when it comes down to it, the Hawks are going to need to make a trade. And I don't know really what that trade is. I mean, these guys were, what, two games away from the NBA Finals last year. They have talent. Uh, it was disappointing to watch them sleepwalk all year when I thought that they'd be more likely to level up. You you run down their roster, and you're like, that guy's a good player. That guy's a good player. That guy's a winning player. That guy's really solid. Um, but it was a bit concerning to see them just really not take the regular season seriously when they haven't really earned anything yet. Uh, you know, you saw them blitz the Hornets last night, and it was a night and day difference in that sort of setting between the two teams. But it's Trey and a bunch of average to above average guys. Can this team, without adding another high level player, ever advance beyond what they are right now? You know, first round capable, can maybe throw, throw a few punches with uh, some of the big guns. The Sixers totally choked last year. That was a bit of an anomaly. But, but unless these guys make a trade, I don't think they're ever going to be good enough to win a title. Before I let you touch on them, I want to throw something out to you. I had a little thought. And I was a little disappointed because I had this thought and then I went and looked it up and I noticed that somebody else had this thought like a month and a half ago. So it is a little bit out there in the ether already. But you've got Bogdanovich, Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Collins, Capella, Kongwu, all those guys, you know, that are, I would say if there's a star available, that those guys would all be readily available. You package two or three of them. What about packaging Herter, Collins, a Kongwu and a first round pick? For Zion, who says no? I mean, the Pelicans, I would have to think, would, wouldn't pick up the phone on that one. I mean, think, uh, I don't know. That's, that's like, just it, though. Maybe. Part of my take, I, I just, unless the situation 
with Zion in New Orleans is past the point of no return. I, there's just no way I would trade him if I'm not getting back even like a single star level asset, right? Like one of the things that I think actually might hamstring the ability of this Hawks team to improve is in my opinion, the John Collins contract. Uh, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but I also feel like, what are they paying him? I think it's around 30 million a year. It's one of those contracts that you give out after having like a, an awesome overachieving season. But then on rea- in reality, you start thinking, do you really want to give a player without go-to scoring ability $30 million a year? Um, we'll see. He's still a young player. He can always improve. But if the player, again, doesn't have go-to scoring ability or elite like defensive rim protection potential, there's no way that I would want to pay in that, that salary range for the guy. Um, it's, a, it, I, it's interesting that you lay out those assets, though. I do think that it, this could be a trade team for sure. Um, if they don't make a trade, two areas on the roster that I could see bringing a lot of organic improvement, DeAndre Hunter and then the big man, Okongwu, who showed a lot of promise this year. Hunter has, hasn't really gotten going with all the injuries he's been dealing with, but I, I think he has been playing better lately. Um, if they make the playoffs, I think he could, he could kind of show what he's capable of. And then hopefully moving forward, those two players improve to the point that this team ceiling isn't, isn't capped in the middle of the Eastern Conference, like we it, feel. I think that's fair. I just wanted to throw out the idea. It was uh, I was like, yeah, I could maybe see it happen, but I don't know. <laughs> I hear you. It's just let's think about how incredible Zion was in his, in his I know, whole I know. season. You know? It's fun as hell like, to watch Trey Young run, pick, and roll. And Trey to be lobbing the ball to Zion. If if, if we can get those two together, yeah. right, that that's entertainment one hundred and one right there. If you're Atlanta, to me, you're doing whatever you can to try and make that happen. If you're the Pelicans, I think that it all depends on the situation. You're right. Like yeah. you don't. If you think that you can uh, integrate Zion back into the fold, so to speak, and have him commit to being there long term, then I think that yeah, you 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 don't do that. But if you think that it's the lost cause, or you're seeing that it's trending in that direction. I think that there's worse things that you could do than getting a package of really solid players and saying, all right, McCollum and uh, Ingram and Collins, uh, you know, we still have Valanchunas, we still have Jackson Hayes, who, you know, whatever. And let's just see what the hell we can do with this kind of collection of mid-tier average players. And I don't know, but you're in that position of, if you're the Pelicans, it ultimately comes down to whether Zion wants to be there moving forward. But anyways, we've talked, we've talked way too much about teams that might not even make the playoffs or teams <laughs> pointing. We're moving on to tier five. This is the, we have an excuse tier. We're playing with house money kind of tier. Uh, this is the nuggets, understandably. So the Clippers, the warriors, and then the team that's kind of on the edge between this tier and the next tier is the Dallas Mavericks with the news of the Luka injury. But you know, the nuggets, everybody knows, about how incredible Nicole Jokic just played all year. We're not expecting to get Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray back. Uh, I think if, if they are able to win a series against the Warriors, it would be an incredible feat. I'm not really expecting that to happen. The Clippers without Kawhi, being able to integrate Paul George back into the team, Norman Powell back into the team as quickly as they did, I think is impressive in and of itself. thought Tyloo did a great job all year to get the Clippers to where they are right now. I could see them losing to New Orleans tomorrow night and I don't think that you know just the team that we watched play against Minnesota I don't see how that team competes with Phoenix uh but you know without Kawhi being there they get a mulligan and then the Warriors there's some speculation that Steph might come back you know the concern with the Warriors to me when you talk about expectations is 
all their main guys are just starting to get a little bit older, to get a little bit beat up. They dealt with injuries from Steph, Clay, and Draymond all year. And even with all those guys healthy and playing at their best right now, I still don't think that they're a better team than the Suns. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward. They unlocked something with Jordan Poole. He's electric. I love – I swear, I love betting on that guy's three-point props because the dude takes like 15 threes a game, it feels like, ever since he was the primary option. I swear, it was fun to just watch him chuck. And Kaminga is the wild card as well as Wiseman. You know, what can Kaminga be? Super excited to see what next year's version of him looks like. I trust that the Warriors and that culture, that coaching staff, um, is going to be able to unlock the best version of whatever that is. You know, there's a lot of talk about him having the maybe the the widest ranging floor ceiling combo of anybody in the draft last year. So good for Bob Myers for taking the shot. It looks like it's going to pay off. But all these teams, when we talk about championship level expectations, they all have legitimate built in excuses for why their fan bases should have or will have lower expectations than maybe they would have if things had worked out a little bit differently throughout the year. Yeah. And, and like, now that I'm thinking about this tier some more, it's almost like the frustration tier, like frustration is the, is the theme here. Um, I think when we're talking about the Clippers and the Nuggets, they're a little bit different than the Warriors because there's absolutely no path for them winning the title this year. Um, I think both organizations came into the season knowing that as well because of the timing of the injuries to Kawhi and Jamal Murray last year. Um, You got to give the Nuggets credit though. I mean, what Nikola Jokic did this year is legendary. They know they have him. He's about to sign an extension this offseason, according to his agent, for like $250 million. So they're going to lock in his prime with the team through 2028. Um, and, and like the fact that Michael Porter Jr. gets hurt right away and they still met their preseason over-under win total without him, I mean, that just shows you how great Jokic's season was. It just – the frustration – aspect of this is it just sucks that we have two straight postseasons where he's not even going to have a chance with the supporting cast like of late you could make an argument that bones highland is the second best player on the denver nuggets like most of you listening to this don't i love the guy but most of you listening to this probably have no idea who bones highland is um the mpj extension is extremely worrisome given his his health track record uh but at the same time like i said you have a great core locked in. You have Jokic, Murray gets healthy. I'm hoping that the next five years, Denver can can really start to contend like they deserve to. Uh, with the Clippers, it's, it's very similar. The Kawhi injury, again, extremely frustrating. They only have one, you know, assuming that they don't go on an unexpected run. We're talking one conference finals appearance to show for in three seasons of the, of the Kawhi-Paul George pairing. So, you know, combined with the tortured history of the Clippers franchise in general, where the conference finals they made last year was the first in the history of their franchise, I imagine tension around the team is going to grow this offseason, regardless of the built-in excuse that they have. At the same time, you made a great point. The roster is aging. Even the supporting players, Marcus Morris and, and Reggie Jackson, these are guys that Kawhi and Paul George are going to rely on in coming seasons. And they're only getting older. So, like, who knows how many more times this team can, like, pull together the roster that's going to get to that championship level. Um, I will say, though, there are still a lot of bright aspects to this team moving forward. They could, I could easily see them being the West favorites heading into next season, depending on how, how things kind of play out. Uh, they still have a loaded roster. Ty Lue has proven to be an elite head coach. 
Steve Ballmer is dead set on making the franchise relevant. Um, they're moving to a new stadium, I think, in like the 2025-ish range. So they maybe sneak out of the Lakers' shadow a little bit. So still a lot to look forward to. I just think it's been a more frustrating three years than their organization would have anticipated. And then Golden State, all the same frustrating aspects. But like you said, if Steph come, comes back, they still have a puncher's shot this year. Uh, the idea of Steph recovering from injury and turning this team around in the middle of the playoffs after they've been struggling to the degree that they have, it, it, it seems far-fetched, but like it's not an impossible thing to imagine. So I think Golden State feels a little bit better combined with the fact that they've already won three titles in the last, what, six or seven years. Like, the run's been incredible. I think the stakes are high because we're looking at this team from a legacy standpoint of how many more titles can they win? Like, where are we going to place them on the list of all-time greatest teams? Because we know they belong there, but like, where exactly are they going to be placed? Where is Steph going to be placed on the all-time player rankings? These things matter a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen this year. And I, I think the Warriors organization is just going to reload and try again next year. I think, I think frustration tier is right. All these teams had expectations to a varying degree, and all of them have been altered based on their current situation. The last team to talk about in this range, and then that'll lead right into the next tier as well as the Dallas Mavericks. You know, I looked at the line before we, we talked here. The Jazz are heavy favorites to win the series now. They've been moved all the way to minus 310 to win the series on FanDuel. I had a Mavs to win the West, $20 bet at plus 1,600 that I placed on October 29th that uh, I actually cashed out today on the news that Luca was going to be out for game one. They let me cash out for my $20 back. The entire premise of the bet before the season was, which team has the best chance of having someone just carry them to the finals? And Luca is, has been, I think, the best bet for that. I was really excited to see him get the chance uh, to try. And the Mavs seem to have really unlocked something at the end of games and defensively, uh, especially down the stretch here. We're still talking about it this week. The Mavs, since Dinwiddie, uh, since the Dinwiddie uh, Porzingis trade, they went from minus 30 in crunch time situations to plus 41 in crunch time situations, which is an incredible improvement. Uh, that's actually better than the Suns, who are the best in nearly league history. Uh, in crunch time. Our guy Dorian's been playing awesome defense. Hard to find a bigger Jalen Brunson fan than me. I really enjoy the players on this team. It's not always the prettiest brand of basketball to watch because it's Luca pick and roll over and over and over and over again, but he's so magical out of it and they play hard around him. I think I'm going to go back to the well next year with some Mavs futures. Like I will stand on the table to say that Luca will carry this franchise to the finals one of these years here soon. Uh, but with them sitting, uh, you know, with him sitting for sure, game one, uh, and who knows past that, I think the Mavs fans' expectations for what this playoffs run could have been uh, have completely plummeted and understandably so. I think that they've folded into the frustration, the what the hell kind of tier over the course of the last week or so after Lucas' calf injury. Yeah, I will say Mavs fans, hang in there. You're playing Utah. It's not like we've never seen them completely <laughs> choke a series when the other team's best player is out. So I still think they have a puncher's chance in that series. Hopefully Luca can be, if, if Luca's back for game two, I'm still taking the Mavs. He's the type of guy, like even when he's hobbled, he can still dominate, you know, he's, his mind and his, his basketball IQ and the way he can use his, his size and strength. I still will think will make him extremely effective in that series, even with a calf injury. 
my yeah. main my main angle on the on the Mavericks though, and I probably would have had them a tier higher without the Luca injury. I would have had them in our next tier, which we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. But I'm just a little worried that if they lose again in round one or they're not competitive in round two, that Luca is going to start getting incredibly like shaky about wanting to stay with the team long term. Um, I think he I, I can't remember I think he's already signed his extension actually um, so that's already set to kick in and like technically contractually he's locked in but we know how superstars can be he might ask for his way out if he's deeply frustrated um, on the other hand too, Jalen Brunson who's been their second maybe third best player this year he's hitting free agency I think Luca's max kicks in after this season so I don't think they're going to have the space to re-sign Brunson I think it's almost a certainty that he's gone. So it's difficult to see them actually improving between this year and next without swinging a trade. So yes, they have Luca. He's 22 years old over the next 10 years. If I had to choose one guy, like the, the next guy in the NBA for 10 years, I'd want Luca, but until, you know, so I guess until the relationship gets outwardly rocky between Luca and the organization, you got to feel good about the organization by default. You just wonder how long, you know, Jason Kidd is a first-year head coach. Nico Harrison is a new executive. You wonder how long they're going to have to actually lay out, you know, the vision that they have in their mind around Doncic. Because clearly he is a one-man wrecking crew. Like, you can so clearly see this team contending every single year in the Western Conference. But so far it hasn't happened. I'd be feeling a little bit tenuous about it if I was involved with that organization. I think it's a great point you bring up about, about uh, Jalen Brunson. It'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think let's move on to tier four. So this is the happily ever after right tier. Uh, this is reserved for the Boston Celtics and the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, I'll talk about the Celtics first. Full disclosure, I'm a Celtics fan. So if I'm saying things like we and us <laughs> throughout this take, I apologize. I can't help myself sometimes. You and um, Simmons both. Exactly, exactly. But I think the reason that I feel like they've had an incredible season. They started off 18 and 21 and got to the two seed. So you, the turnaround was was sublime. Honestly, this team's playing like arguably the best team in basketball for the latter half of the season. But nothing's ever guaranteed. And as a Celtics fan, I feel like that's really been ingrained in my mind. Like in the 19 and 20 bubble season, they were the three seed. I think they won like 55 games. They got to the conference finals. Everyone's saying with Tatum and Brown, they have a bright future. It's only a matter of time before they get to the top of the Eastern conference, but things changed really fast for about a year and a half. They were playing 500 basketball. They were the seven seed last year. Like I said, they started 18 and 21 this year. I was basically like, this team's terrible. They're never going to reach their ceiling, but suddenly they turned it around. They, they've gotten to an even higher level than I ever could have expected. Um, so yes, it now seems very clearly like the Tatum Brown pairing with the surrounding infrastructure, smart, Horford, Williams, it's all locked in. It all seems built to last, but you just, you never know in the NBA. You can't just assume you have a five-year championship window that's about to start. Like they have a great opportunity to take advantage of this year, you know? And I feel like they've had a lot of deep runs in the postseason since their last title. Feels like they're due for kind of that breakthrough. Um, so I can't say, like, I think there's a ton at stake, even though if they do lose to Brooklyn in round one, a tough matchup, Kevin Durant, 
absolute sniper. I, I'm scared. I'll be honest. Like I'm pretty, pretty worried. Even if they lose, I'll have to look at this season like a positive with the way they turned around, the way the future's looking. But I still feel like there's a ton at stake because you don't know if you're going to be in this position again. I think Any great, other thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a great point you bring up about just how quickly the windows can close in the NBA, how fast they can open and how fast they can close and how you have to be prepared to take advantage when they do open, no matter what you expected kind of heading into the season. Uh, yeah, I'm going to default all my Celtics takes to you. You watch them every night. I will say the one thing that uh, was noticeable about the Celtics was, you know, they forced you to believe. Like, they forced you to say, okay, this team is for real. It didn't matter who they were playing. It was, it was like a stretch there where it was, okay, you know, the Celtics are hot, but they're not going to keep this going. You know, they're just an average team that's, gonna, that's, that's on a little bit of heater that's going to fall back to the surface. But it felt like night after night after night, they kept proving like, hey, we're actually for real and you need to take us seriously. And if it wasn't for the Robert Williams injury, I think that I would expect almost the Celtics to be the favorite and to come out of the East. The way that they were playing, I still might bet on them and, and say that they're the best team in the East, which I never would have expected. Never would have expected. Yeah. Just it's unbelievable to turn around. Uh, you know, when I was typing this out, uh, my, I had, you know, we, we both had the Grizzlies and the Celtics in this tier together. I had this written down as the holy shit, we're really good all of a sudden. Are we really supposed to contend now tier? Because both these teams, fan bases, didn't have expectations that they were title contenders heading into the year. But the way that they've played and the way that the rest of the league has looked, they've become them. And so that's elevated expectations. Like you said, if the Celtics lose in round one or if they lose in round two to Milwaukee, I think that all Celtics fans, if you look at this, honestly, you're going to go, man, that was a great year. I'm really excited uh, about the new coach. I'm really excited about the way that things are going with the development of our players. Uh, let's move forward. I'm fired up. We're going to go win the East next year. Uh, but at the same time, it's going to be that lingering feeling of there's this opportunity because there's no dominant team. We can really do this. So I think that the Grizzlies are in the exact same situation on March 3rd. So, you know, 40 some odd days ago, I wrote a long article about John Morant and how rare and incredible it was for him and the Grizzlies to be doing what they were in the midst of doing. And since that time, John only played seven of the remaining 18 games and the Grizzlies went 13 and five. So I talked about them battling to have the third best record in the league. They ended up having the second best record in the league. And that was with John missing 11 of the final 18 games after I wrote that piece. So in the history of the NBA, they're the only team to ever do this to turn themselves from top three in the lottery to top three in the league in less than three years time with only one all-star. And they did it nearly entirely through the draft. You know, I think, I think Grizzlies ownership, GM, Zach Kleiman, Taylor Jenkins, all deserve a ton of credit along yeah, with take out, really. Yeah. Along with obviously the players you watch them play and it is noticeable how much they love playing with each other and being around each other. Like it pops off the screen. It's so unique. And I do have some back of my head concerns until I watch them prove it to me in the playoffs, uh, you know, that they're, uh, you know, we have a ton of depth and we play really hard during the regular season. So we win a bunch of games uh, type of team. Uh, maybe that does not translate. Maybe that does translate into the playoffs. Uh, but no matter what happens these next few weeks, you run it back 100% next year. You keep yeah. developing the guys that you have. They're undeniably on the right track. They have legitimately done something that no team in the history of the NBA – 
in the modern era has done through the draft. You know, adding Jackson, adding Bain, adding Morant, Zaire Williams, Dylan Brooks, all these guys who I'm trying to think, doing this off the top of my head, was Steven Adams their only real big pickup, and they basically just swapped him for Valanchunas. He's the only non-draft pickup of Maybe guys. Maybe Kyle that, Anderson, too. Was he an OG Grizzlies I, player? Oh, he was on he was on the Spurs for a bit. They did yeah. pick but but okay, so Kyle Anderson and Steven Adams are the two everyone main else guys. organically drafted yeah. or yeah. organically build uh built their team. So yeah, uh, you know, I know you talked about it in your piece as well. You can find my piece in your piece over at click.substack.com. Uh, Read by the way, it. about the the qualifications for them being a legitimate championship contenders this year. I know that they came up short of some of those qualifications. But at the same time, it's hard to find anyone outside of Phoenix that you go, yeah, these guys are definitely better suited to win the title or to make it to the title than, than the Grizzlies are this year, which you go, what the hell? Like th- these guys had no expectations, and all of a sudden they have the second-best record in the league. You, you have to place expectations on a team that has the second-best record in the league. But, but similarly to Boston, if the Grizzlies, you know, maybe with the exception of bounced by Minnesota – uh, you know, if they get bounced by Minnesota, I think that's undeniably going to be disappointing. But if they lose to Golden State in six or seven games in the second round, I think every single Memphis fan is going to be like, all right, let's run it back. Hell yeah. We got we got the core that can go do this thing. We got the star that can lead us. Uh, our guys love playing with each other. Uh, a, a team that the city will be really proud of. So, yeah, no, no doubt. We're on the right track. I um, I had a hard time really thinking of anything quantitative to to dock this team for um other than just like maybe you know it maybe it won't last forever maybe this this great run is not going to continue moving forward i think so the one thing i i looked at that was interesting is a big part of the reason they've been so great this year is their depth like as you said uh, when john morant went down they had an incredible record without him i think it ended up being like 20 and 4 on the season or something crazy like that a big reason they have that depth is because John Morant's still on his rookie contract. So two years from now, and I expect he'll sign it this offseason to kick in two seasons from now, his max extension is going to kick in, which is going to force them to kind of reshape the roster a bit. A lot of like their core kind of role players, Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, Steven Adams, who we just mentioned. It's, it's unclear whether or not they have a long-term position on this team given the the salary cap dynamics so that's something to look out for is they probably only have this year and maybe next year to roll out this specific unit but the fact that they're able to build around John Morant, Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain moving forward I mean that's that's a trio right there you got to be feeling great Um, but I, I thought it was interesting to look at their their cap situation I actually think they have the highest potential of any team in the postseason field to have a very different looking roster, at least players like four through eight or nine in the coming seasons. will be interesting to see how that develops. Moving on to tier three, the, the next team that I thought was kind of hard to place. And so we ended up just placing them in a tier by themselves. We just decided to call this the we're the defending champs tier for the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, with no, with with such a lack of emotion, just we are the defending champs. Like, yeah, that's that's basically how they played the whole season, right? Yeah, yeah, we are the defending champs. So you think about it from the Bucks' perspective. We won the title last year. We crossed the bridge. We've given ourselves some leeway. You know, off topic slightly, but kind of crazy. You talk about the margins in sports and how slim they are, and how small things, minuscule things, can alter 
the course of history and the legacies of players, coaches, franchises. Like KD's toe isn't on the line last year, and the Bucks are arguably number one on this list with a different coach. And we're still talking and having the conversation about Giannis of can he get it done in the playoffs? And obviously he can. He proved it to us. He just destroyed the finals. Uh, but anyways, they've earned themselves some leeway. At the same time, uh, they have an all-time great player in the midst of the peak of his career playing at the apex of his powers with a group around him that's obviously good enough to win. The biggest contender that they have in front of them is a team that they beat last year. You don't get chances like this that often. So it's like, okay, we have to take advantage. If we lose this year, uh, you know, great, we won the title last year. Uh, we, we still give ourselves the ability to celebrate that. But at the same time, like we talked about, these windows open and close very quickly and, and faster than we expect sometimes. We look at this box team, we go, all right, they've got a great core. They've got great role players. They've got one of the best players, if not the best player in the NBA. Uh, we're good. We're good for the considerable future. We haven't seen Giannis seriously hurt we haven't seen any of their big guys seriously hurt for an extended period of time you never know what can happen and the bucks have as good a chance as anyone to win the title this year they're getting to play a team in the first round that they just absolutely obliterated they're going to play either boston with a partially potentially hobbled robert williams that wasn't expected to be this good or brooklyn that can't stop anybody in the second round and then uh, who at Miami or Philly or Toronto and in, in the Eastern finals, like you're going to go into those series is saying, okay, I like the Bucks chances. Uh, it, it's kind of that weird line of they have achieved ultimate success. So that gives them somewhat of a pass, but they have just as good of a chance to achieve that ultimate success this year, which really takes them into a different status and tier level. And when you have a chance as good as they have, you have to take advantage of it because you never know when your necklace is going to come. Yeah, no, Absolutely. It is interesting. If they didn't win the title last year, I think we'd be ripping them a bit, saying, you just ducked Brooklyn. You're the three seed again. Another kind of disappointing regular season for a team that was winning, like, at a 65-game clip two or three years ago. But they did win the title, so you, you got to give them some leeway. Uh, they, they deserve to have kind of coasted through the regular season, and like you said, the path is there for them to repeat. And it, I think it's, it's a big deal to, to go for a second title. I think the, the way that we remember these teams historically uh, between the, the one title winning teams and, and teams that get multiple is, is vastly different. Could be the difference between us thinking about them like the 04 Pistons or the 08 Celtics versus this recent Warriors run. Not to mention Giannis's legacy. We don't know it. Like his ceiling might be a top five to 10 player of all time to get to that range. He needs another championship at least. So there's a lot on the line. I think, it just makes it weird to me that they're not really attacking this season with ferocity, you know, like look at how the Suns, who we'll talk about are attacking the season. Like they're angry. I love that about that team. Milwaukee, they've just been kind of you know, chilling, you know, and yes, they have this, like on one hand, I'm praising the Celtics for getting 51 wins and then saying for Milwaukee, it's disappointing, but I feel like because the Celtics started off so poorly and then kicked ass for like 40 games and really showed a different gear, I praise them for that. Whereas Milwaukee just kind of played it like a good, but not great level the entire season. So really interested to see if they have that switch. Um, I think again, the stakes are, are very high for them internally within that organization though. Like, do, are they feeling like they need this title bad this year? Or are they, they just thrilled with the title last year. I'd understand both ways, but 
I'm very interested to to see how they respond to that pressure this postseason. I think it's hard to quantify or describe. It felt all year like the Bucks were coasting, but at the same time, Giannis never coasts and he never takes a game off. So it's like, I, I don't know how to properly quantify that, but I agree that it did feel like at times you'd think that the Bucks would be playing better. Uh, but every single time Giannis takes the floor, the dude's going balls to the wall all out. Uh, I don't know. I'm just excited to see Giannis's encore to his performance last year. Um, I don't know. I think that they're a unique case. I think that uh, like the margins are so slim, but they have as good a chance as anybody. They have a guy who would win MVP in the majority of seasons this year. And uh, when you have that being the case, you got to take advantage of it. You want to talk about yeah. tier two? Let's get let's get to this this next group of teams, which is kind of an eclectic uh, eclectic group. Yep the uh, this could get ugly. We need to win tier. So this includes the Utah Jazz, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Miami Heat, and the Brooklyn Nets. So pretty big group here. Very similar yet starkly different scenarios for each of them. Uh, maybe we we start with Brooklyn. Um, they're a team where, like, I don't know if I necessarily feel like the organizational stakes for them. They're new to Brooklyn. But from a player standpoint, there's a, a ton on the line for, for Durant and Kyrie, right? Like, I, I feel like Durant is closer to punching in LeBron territory than people give him credit. Um, think about last year when they got Harden. I started thinking, like, oh, is he going to surpass LeBron James with, with – four or five championship rings. Like, you know, I, I really started getting those thoughts. Um, and so if, I think even though that situation did not work out like they were hoping, he still has a chance to, to carry this team on his back. I mean, he's playing so well. The way he's distributing the ball and playmaking now too, it's like he's taking his game to another level on top of the lethal scoring. Um, and I think if he's able to drag this team through the postseason – we have to rethink where he stands historically as an all-time great player. I think he's already a top 15 to 20 player, if not a little bit higher, like in the 10 to 15 range. Another ring with this team and all their flaws. I mean, we got to start talking about him as like a no doubt top five to 10 player of all time. Um, it is interesting though, because I read articles about him. He's been profiled recently in a few pieces. I think Logan Murdoch on the ringer wrote a piece about him. He was on JJ Reddick's podcast too. He sounds like very, yeah. Yeah, he sounds like really today. at peace with where he's at in his basketball career um, and like the evolution of his game in general. So it, it certainly doesn't sound like he's putting that type of pressure on himself and, and thinking about his legacy in that way. I feel like he thinks his legacy is super secure, which it is. But, I, you know, I just want to see if he can reach an even higher level, you know, the fan in me. Again, though, I don't know if I necessarily want to see it happen this year because it would be at the expense of my team. Uh, and then Kyrie, I mean, this guy, what is there to really like? There's so much, so many angles to the Kyrie factor heading into this postseason. I think if they lose, the season's lack of success is definitely going to be largely blamed on on him. He also he's made promises he's going to be there for the long haul. We we've heard that before. Who knows what he's going to do this offseason? He has a player option. Uh, will he decide to execute that and extend with the team? It's it's impossible to predict with him, but like. I know I feel like there's a lot of negative coverage of Kyrie, but I actually want to think about the upside of this guy a little bit. If he as a sidekick to Durant 
absolutely kicks ass like he did in, in 16 and 17 with the Cavs. I mean, we're going to have to look at this guy like pretty much, and I mean this in a very positive way, like the best sidekick of his generation, like a, the Scotty Pippen type guy of his generation. Uh, someone who is a perfect complement to the two greatest players of their generation and LeBron and Durant. So, I mean, that is extremely high praise. And I, I think those are the types of, that's the type of territory that Kyrie can be chasing with another successful postseason run. So there's a, there's a lot at stake for this team. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Because of all the, the off the court talk about Kyrie, whether it be his attitude or everything with the vaccination or all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of times recently where I found myself going, holy shit, I forget just how talented this guy is. Like when Kyrie's playing well, he looks as talented and as skilled as any player in the league. And he's incredible. But I think the thing that I'm most fascinated in with this team is, you know, they've added Ben Simmons who isn't playing. Who the hell knows what Ben Simmons moving forward is going to be. The next time we see Ben Simmons on a court next year, I know that there's been talk about like he looks great in practice, all this stuff. It'll have been over a year since he's played. He's now got these back issues too that are is still lingering that's being talked about. Um, all the mental health stuff. The last time we'll have seen him play was the performance against the Hawks. Like, who the hell really knows? And they have so much money tied up in those three guys. Plus, Joe Harris is making over 17, 18, 19 million dollars a year. You know, you look at the team that they have right now, they're running out guys like Blake Griffin. Well, he hasn't played that much lately, but Aldridge and Andre Drummond and some guys that at different points in time we thought were washed up. They're they've reached the level of some super teams in the past when they have so much money committed to a certain amount of players where they're having to kind of scrape the bottom of the barrel of whoever is the old vet that they can just get as many minutes out of as possible. Goran Dragic, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on down, on down the line. Bruce Brown played incredible the other night. Bruce Brown has developed into a guy that really feels incredibly crucial for them. He's going to be a free agent in the offseason. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to command a pretty solid contract with the way yeah, that he's going to play. That'd like, be a what bigger loss team, than people realize. Right. Like, like, what does this team look like year over year? I like Cam Thomas as a young guy. I think the guy could score Virginia guy. Like, I think he could really get buckets. And he, I think he was a good pick at the end of the first round last year. Nick yeah. Claxton, he's going to be a free agent. I like he's him. Somebody's going to pay him. I like him too. Like, you just think about, like, what does this team look like? You know that they're going to have Durant. You, you brought up Kyrie. You know that they're going to have Ben Simmons now. But what the hell does that actually mean? They have Joe Harris in their contract. Uh, Seth Curry, I love Seth Curry, but it's a lot of it's a lot of one year uh, bottom of the barrel. Who can we fit mix and match onto the team? Right. And when you get to that place, it can all go downhill really quickly, as we saw with the Cavs, as we saw with the Lakers. Now, like that's what the Heat did. That's what pretty much every team, every you know super team has had to do. And even the Warriors at one point in time, their bench has gotten a lot better over the last, you know, two years or so. But when they had all those big contracts on the books, their bench really struggled. Uh, it was it was a little rough down there. Uh, and so, I don't know. That's the interesting thing to me with Brooklyn. They went into the season as the favorites. Everybody had really high expectations. You look at the team played the other night, I don't see how defensively they're going to be able to, to stop teams enough. You can let Kyrie and KD score 85 points and still probably win some games if you're a team like Milwaukee or Miami or, or Boston. Um, I don't know. They have such high expectations. They have so much talent at the top end. I'm just really curious to see. Yeah, like, it could all, it could, say, like we said, it could get ugly 
really quickly. If they lose, lose their luster, five yeah. games, they lose in five games to Boston. You're looking around going, what the hell move? Okay. You got Ben Simmons yeah, in your back so pocket. You're relying, you're relying on a guy who has been unbelievably unreliable for two plus seasons now to be the savior of your franchise, to be the guy that can help you level up. And now, uh, you know, I know that I don't have them off the top of my head. I don't have them in front of me. The Durant healthy record for the Nets versus Durant unhealthy record. I think for the it was Nets. like a 53 win pace for the, the whole season when he was healthy. So, I mean, again, good, but not like blowing the doors off the league. You know what I mean? Right. But Durant, Durant's getting older. He's not getting, I mean, he's yeah. not getting any younger. Like he is when he's on the court, when he's available, he is as good of, as anyone in the league. And if you had to have a guy take one shot at the end of a game, you're picking him 10 times out of 10. But like, what does the rest of the team look like moving forward? If these guys lose and bow out early, I just think it's super fascinating. And I do think one more thing before we move on to the heat, but I actually think we're, despite all the praise for Durant, we might actually be underselling how impactful he's looked lately. Like he's actually making Brooklyn's defense competent with the way he's protecting the rim as well. Like I think that's something for fans to look out for in the playoffs. His rim protection against Cleveland was unbelievable, and I only expect that to continue in the Boston series. So it's not just the offense with this guy. The two-way play is, is really scary, and we'll see how far he can carry them. Um, I don't know if you wanted – if you had a lot of thoughts on Miami. I think there's definitely a lot of interesting angles there. I, I don't, to be honest with you, they're kind of an enigma to me. I, I just, I don't know how to feel about Miami. Just, just like kind of word vomiting my thoughts on the heat situation. Obviously they finished with the one seed in the East, but there's just something about them that I don't trust. Uh, every situation that Jimmy Butler has entered, he kind of burned down on the way out and who the hell knows what could happen with him uh, moving forward. If these, if, I wouldn't bet my life that they beat the Hawks in round one if that's who they end up playing. Uh, I don't know. There's just, something interesting. About I agree. there's just something about them. Like there, there's a lot of guys that, you know, I love Bam Adebayo. Kyle Lowry is just so solid. They have a lot of winning players. They have great shooting. They're a well-put-together team. Um, it also just at the same time feels like they've overachieved. They don't have a, a go-to star guy on the caliber of a Giannis or a Tatum or an Embiid or Kevin Durant. This is a team that is going to have first in the East expectations, but I feel like they're more of a middle of the pack kind of team that in a normal year where, you know, one or two or three of the teams that are led by some of the stars in the league, maybe have better records or play better throughout the season. They're a four seed or a three seed, but they have high, they have to have high expectations. They're the one seed in the East. I just don't really know what to, I just don't really know like what we're going to get from Miami. I don't know. They're they're an enigma to me. I agree. I, I, out of all the teams near the top of this list, I had probably the least written about them. I do feel like they have an opportunity to, to throw the middle finger up though to a lot of people if they win the East again, just given that we kind of dismiss them a little bit, see them as more of like a mid-tier Eastern Conference team. And yet there is something scary about them in crunch time. And I say scary because that's a Celtics fan of me. Like I really just don't like the heat and it feels like in crunch time where the game slows down and they need to execute I really do trust their players in those situations they've shown a lot of composure and I don't know if the regular season numbers actually back that up this year I've just I saw it in the recent game against Boston that essentially clinched the number one seed for them I saw it in the bubble 
Um, I think it's it's something that if, if they're able to kind of capture that again this postseason, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they end up in the finals. At the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, could Atlanta give them a push in round one if they win their playing game? Absolutely. It's not like this Miami team has a mind-melting star power. Um, Legacy-wise, there's some interesting things on the table there. Spolstra as one of the greatest coaches of all time, if they make it, you know, I think his legacy is pretty secure, but another deep run and it's getting really interesting with where you got to place him on the all-time coaching ranks. Butler and Lowry titles for them. I know Lowry has one, but if he adds a second ring and Butler adds a first, we have to rethink how we view them uh, as, as all-time players. Um, And the Miami franchise has been incredibly successful in the 21st century as well. Winning a title this year would be their fourth championship and would pretty much cement them as the marquee Eastern Conference franchise. So that's an interesting thing to think about from their organization and their fans' perspective as well. Uh, Let's move on to Philly. I know we have a lot of takes on what's at stake for this team. Uh, Maybe you, you go first. Yeah, I just don't know what the hell they do after they flame out in the playoffs because I'm fully <laughs> expecting them to, and I hate it because I love Joel Embiid so much. I lo- like I, You know how much I love players that play with passion and emotion that show how much it matters to them, and I have fallen in love with Joel Embiid ever since he was sobbing after the Kawhi Leonard game-winning three-pointer a couple years ago. Like, truly, the man is playing at the peak of his powers, and the Sixers are trying their best to put him in position to win a title, to go for it. They made the trade for Harden. We all, you know, that's been talked about by millions of people. We all know about that. But the way that they've played since Harden has been on the team has been unbelievably underwhelming. It feels still like Joel Embiid is playing out there. They were scarier before they got Harden this season, I would say. And, and like there's a lot of games where you go, okay, Tyrese Maxey is the second best player on this team. And they're paying two guys $35 million or more that aren't Joel Embiid and that aren't Tyrese Maxey. Like, I just, what the hell do they do? They have to get rid of, like, like if, if they lose, let, so let's just play this out. A month and a half ago, they're the favorites to win the Eastern Conference. When they, when they make the James Harden trade in the first two or three games, they come out and they just blitz everybody running pick and rolls with Harden and Embiid and they look incredible. And then they beat, what, Minnesota and really, New York and the whole yeah, world. Yeah. Right yeah. Down. Yeah. Yeah. Bad, whatever yeah. average to bad teams, but still, but still they, they, look, they look incredibly mighty impressive. impressive. They look incredibly impressive. And now <laughs> they've just pittered out throughout the end of the season to where I go, okay, they're going to have to play without their best defensive player for all their road games in Toronto and I don't trust anybody else on this team besides Embiid. Embiid's going to get 40 a night, 40 and 15, and they still could lose to Toronto. Toronto's a, more, yeah. a way more balanced team. They have a much more balanced roster. Um, I don't know, man. I just – like I want, I want Joel Embiid to have success. I want Philly to have success. Like I am openly feel like I'm rooting for the Sixers to make it to the finals this year. Uh, because I'm I want not. to see Joel Embiid do it. I know you're not, uh, but I want to see Joel Embiid do it. And I just like my optimism surrounding whether that can be achieved or not has just almost yeah. entirely flamed out at this point. And if they were to lose, you hear the rumblings about Doc going to LA, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Would I Philly just, fans even be upset though if he were? Probably not at this point. Um, and maybe a fresh start would be what's best for everybody involved. But yeah, I uh, I don't know. I, I just you can't re- you can't waste a season of the caliber that Joel Embiid is having when you're a guy that has that sort of injury history that is that size that you know that at any moment um, with the way that he plays and just how skilled and special he is for a guy that size. We talk about open and closing windows like that window could close incredibly quickly. And the fact that Harden has not been the player that they were expecting. Like I think Philly fans have to have really high expectations for this team with the way that Joel has played. And at the same time, it's just, there's a lot on the line. Yeah. And I I will say like Harden's playoff struggles, they're well documented at this point. I feel like when we talk about Embiid, we're almost talking about him like a victim, though. Like, the team is going to lose, and it's not of his doing. But at the same time, like, it is in his grasp to, like, grab the conference by the balls and get them to the finals, you know? And the fact of the matter with Joel Embiid is he's had talented teams around them. This is another talented team, and he's never been past the second round. So this is huge for Joel Embiid. Besides Chris Paul, I'm not sure anyone – uh, has more on the line heading into this postseason than that Embiid Harden combination. From the organization's standpoint, Daryl Morey he went all in on this move for James Harden. He is a player option to exercise after the season. He's I, I highly doubt he's going to exercise that without a long term extension in place. Which means they're what are they going to do? They're going to let Harden lock. They're locked into this combination, and I'm not sure Harden has any of his best days ahead of him. So if they underachieve this run, guess what you're getting next year, Philly? The exact same thing, you know? So (laughs) that would have me a bit worried. The franchise in general is more tortured than it's, you know, it gets credit for. No titles since 1983. Haven't made the finals since 2001. We've been hearing about the process for what feels like 10 years now. Uh, If this is the final result, and they never really scratched the surface of legitimate contention. I think everyone involved with the organization, the fans are going to need to take a look in the mirror. Maybe worse. Like, I don't know if this is even soul searching. This is like pitch a tent in the middle of the woods and go off the grid for a few months level stuff. So the stakes here are about as high as they can get. Um, And maybe let's, this brings us to Utah, the last team in this group. (laughs) Actually, I almost wanted to, I tried to convince John to put them in a tier of their own because it's like, it's like a nuclear reactor tier. Almost. <laughs> it's almost a certainty that they're going to make a deep run that they are. Can you still hear me? I lost that. Yeah. looks like. Yep. Awesome. Uh, they're not going to make a deep run. Like, I think we're, we're pretty certain of that. And it seems like the go bear Mitchell pairing is on its last legs. The moment they lose in the playoffs, Anything's on the table. Either of those guys could get traded. Who knows if Quinn Snyder's done a great job. I doubt he's on the hot seat, but wouldn't shock me if he's looking for greener pastures. He was a college coach before, right? And maybe other – I know the Lakers are trying to to scoop him now. I think anything's on the table with him. And, like, despite everything that's on the line, like, this iteration of the team is at stake, and they don't feel inspiring at all. Like, I almost – don't even know if they deserve to be in this tier because I have way less belief that they're going to do anything compared to the counterparts that we just went through. Um, And it's disappointing. 
just when they seemed like they were turning the corner last year, they got the one seed. They started off really hot this year too. I looked it up. They started 28 and 10 and now they find themselves in the five seed. They didn't even win 50 games. You know, I, it's, it's pretty depressing. Like we, 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 you know, we're talking about the bulls and the Hawks and their mediocrity. Utah's really not that different. They've just shown enough promise to trick their fans and the organization into thinking they were title contenders when at this point, it's pretty clear to me that they're frauds. Do you disagree? No, here's, here's the interesting thing to me, right? Like it's openly joked about and talked about how Utah is not a destination for anyone. Right. And because I think Quinn Snyder's a really good coach, they've done a really good job mining the draft. Uh, they've been relevant for a pretty extended period of time here. Even getting rid of Gordon Hayward, they maintained relevancy and they bounced back a lot faster than most people probably would have anticipated because that's what happens when you hit on an all-star in the 27th pick with Rudy Gobert. You hit on an all-star, the 13th pick with Donovan Mitchell. But how much long-term sustainability can really be built into that model of hitting on all-stars in the mid to to latter half of the first round and that's where Utah has been drafting for the last few years I pulled up their draft stuff to look at right now here's the draft picks that they've taken over the course of the last three years Santi Aldama Yudoka Azubuke Saban Lee Darius Baisley and Justin Wright Foreman so those are their five draft picks over the course of the last three seasons in 2021 2020 2019 NBA drafts they're going to draft in the back half of the first round again this year there's a lot of smoke about Donovan Mitchell trying to force his way out of Utah. Like the the Rudy Gobert drama with him touching the mics and causing, you know, being basically patient zero for all of the NBA COVID outbreak that happened. Like there's just so much drama that surrounded this team the last few years, coupled with the fact that they completely blew it last year against the Clippers. Yeah. Coupled with the fact that like, it feels like no matter, uh, Like, do you trust the Jazz? I don't trust the Jazz at all. I don't trust them at all. So they're in the middle of nowhere in Salt Lake City, and I don't think any Utah fan will ever listen to this. Just in case they do, like, 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 whatever. Just in case, just in case they ever do, like, I'm sorry, but it's just the reality of the situation. Not afraid. The Jazz have been built on smoke and mirrors is not the right term, but they they have hit on a lot of things that should not have hit, so to speak. And they've given themselves this championship window. Maybe it's not even a championship window, but they were the one seed just last year. They returned basically everybody. And they're going to enter into the playoffs, and nobody is giving them a chance in hell of doing anything. If they lose to the Mavericks, like like where the hell does this team turn to? Like where the hell do they go next? And – I mean, what if they lose to the Mavericks and Luka doesn't even play? Or Luka doesn't even play half the series, right? You might have we, to move the franchise at that point. I mean, I guess, like, the, the upside they, scenario is they, they take care of the Mavs and, like, maybe – like, I, I guess you could turn it on its head. What the hell happens if they come out and they beat the Suns in round two? Yeah. Now you're like, okay, everything's – There are stakes here. They, 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 they do hypothetically have hopes to contend this year. Um, we'll, we'll see if it actually happens though. I think you hit it on the head though. Like they do as an organization deserve credit for what they built. It yeah. Just, it just might not be enough. And that's, that's a humbling thing to accept. 
how sustainable and how how replicable is it uh not very in my opinion and it could all go like like we say (laughs) this could get ugly we need to win really quickly if the jazz lose this year knowing that look at the health of everybody else in the conference too right we've talked about all the other teams in the west except for the suns the mavs are hurt the warriors are hurt jaw's been banged up and they're incredibly young uh, the Clippers are banged up without Kawhi. The Nuggets are banged up. Like the Jazz are relatively as healthy or healthier than everybody, and nobody's expecting them. Yeah, to nobody much of anything is thinking about them still. That's so right. True. Right. So I don't know. It's the perfect transition into our tier one, which we were both in complete agreement on this, and we have this labeled as we have to win this year. And that's the Phoenix Suns, the only team we haven't talked about yet. I just talked about the injuries for everybody else. Devin Booker is not going to be the MVP, but he had an MVP caliber season. You have the deepest, most well-balanced roster. You had an all-time great regular season, really without even trying the last few weeks and dealing with injuries to your star point guard for a part in there. You have the coach of the year, more than likely. You have home court throughout. You have last year's disappointing loss in the finals as motivation. Everything lines up for these guys this year. I mean, we just talked about it. Jaws been hurt, and the Grizzlies are the two seed out of nowhere, two years ahead of schedule. Steph, Draymond, Clay, they've all been banged up. The lineup for the Warriors has been in flux all year. Luka is hurt. The Jazz are in disarray. No Porter Jr., no Jamal Murray, no Kawhi Leonard. Dave, they finished eight games better than the next best team in the league. So I want you to tell me, first of all, first of all, how the hell are the Suns still plus 120 to win the West on FanDuel? <laughs> I've bet an unhealthy portion of my bank account on the Suns to win the West. So I damn sure hope that they do it. But let's not overthink this. They have to do it this year. Things move so fast in the NBA. So fast. We talked about it a little bit already. But think about the great teams of the last 20 to 25 years. You really have a three to four year window or so. It doesn't feel like it in the moment, but you blink your eyes and you look back and the window's closed. And I think about the Celtics big three, the Heat big three, like LeBron and the Cavs, uh, even those D-Rose teams in Chicago, uh, the Lakers runs in the early 2000s even with Kobe and Shaq. That yeah. didn't go as long as you expected it to. Uh, D-Wade and Shaq then in Miami, the Wizards initial core. And then they had to reboot and add KD to go on kind of a second run there. But then the Thunder with, with KD and Russ and Harden that – next thing you know you blink and and James Harden's in Houston the Spurs are really the only team that has incredibly prolonged sustained period of excellent excellence with the same general core but Chris Paul isn't getting any younger DeAndre Ayton contract situation which has been kind of looming over the entire season it's been looming over this group Uh, most everyone's locked up for next year too but who knows what the league looks like next year who knows if Booker might get injured or Ayton leaves or Bridges gets hurt or CP3 gets hurt like the Suns might be the team that we're saying, oh, Devin Booker's been hurt all year. These guys are a four seed next year with no expectation to win the title. Who knows? When you have chances like this that line up as perfectly as it has for Phoenix, you have to win. The Suns have never won a title, Dave. They've yeah. been so close with the so Barkley close. years and the, C- the Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, D'Antonio years. They were in the finals last year. They have come so close. They have to do it. This is the year. Before I let you go, one thing I want to touch on. I I know we talked about this in the group chat. 
But there's a stat out there of all the teams that have had as good of a regular season as the Phoenix Suns has. Nearly every single team has either won the title or at least made it to the finals. The Suns have to win the title this year. They have to do it. Absolutely have to do it. No, you hit on pretty much everything I I would have said. I I would go even further with their overdue. I think they're clearly the best franchise with no title in the NBA. I actually did a little bit of research. They've been around for 53 years and they've made 10 conference finals. So about 20% of their seasons end with them being a top four team in the league. Three finals appearances, like they're a really good franchise and they haven't gotten over the hump. Everything's aligning for them. But like you said, it's scary because Chris Paul's 36 years old. Like I can't even believe what he's doing at this age and how many more chances are they going to have? You brought up the point with the, the owner who's kind of a noted cheap owner. If we're talking cheap for, for billionaire status, but he might not bring back DeAndre Aiden, who's a big part of their defensive interior deep, you know, their interior on defense. I, I you know, this core probably is going to look a little bit different next year. They've been unbelievable for two years. They got to capitalize. They have to, there's just, there's no way around it. And like, when you think about the macro level stakes of everything we've talked about with how tortured the franchise is, Chris Paul being a top 30 player of all time with one missing piece to his resume. I mean, I, this might be a, a combination of factors, the likes of which I've never seen in sports, the opportunity for, a franchise to get the monkey off its back and a great player at the same time, it would be something. It's a little it ha- reminiscent it, of Dallas and, and Dirk in 2011, right? It has to happen, man. Yeah. It has to happen. Like, but you know, yes, but at the same time, that team in 2011 with Dallas and Dirk, they had Miami on the other side where it was, okay, this is a great Mavs team. We think that they're going to be good, but they're not going to win the title because this is LeBron, D. Wade, and Chris Bosch that are going to win the title. There's no one in the league this year that is remotely comparable to the Suns. They didn't even try the last four games of the season. They went like one and three the last the last four games of the season, and they still finished eight games better than the next best team in the league. Like Absolute machine. They're one of the best crunch time teams in the history of the sport. You know, they brought back everybody from last year's team, but they the, the, the critical piece that I think makes even more of a difference is that they added JaVale McGee and Bismack Biombo. You might go, okay, JaVale McGee and Bismack Biombo but it at least allows them to give Aiton some time to rest. And if he gets into foul trouble, which was an issue at times last year in the Bucs series, they have yeah. defensive rim protectors that can give you minutes and spurts and good minutes and spurts at times. Like they're deeper. They're one year better. Like you said about Chris Paul, like they play together. They're just so fun to watch, man. And like I said, um, I'm rooting for it to happen. I'm rooting for Chris Paul to get his championship. I would love to see Devin Booker do it. I absolutely love Mikhail Bridges. Like the Suns are everything that I enjoy and love about basketball. They love playing together. They're incredibly smart. I love smart basketball teams. They're really well coached. They were put together organically and brought in Chris Paul. Like they are, like you said, the best franchise without a title. And this is the year that they do it. My bank account is depending on it, but this is the year that they do it. And it might be the reason to run for the hills on this front, though. Well, like, I mean, what is so? So let's let's talk about this really quick. Like, what is the scenario in which they lose? For a long time, I was thinking about that lurking matchup with Luca in round two, but I'm not sure if that's going to be on the table anymore, as we've as we've covered. 
other than that, I don't, I don't think Memphis or Golden State, I guess if Golden State Curry comes back and they just find that groove, that's a wild card team. I don't see it with Memphis in their first like major postseason run. I don't, I, I think the most realistic, you know, matchup for them that they could lose is, is in the finals. Yeah. Whether it's a rematch with Milwaukee, whether it's an upstart Boston team, whether KD's going scorched earth and drags them there, that that's where I think there's potential with all the baggage that they're carrying, both franchise and, you know, franchise player. That's where I could see things going off the rails just because we've seen it so many times before, but I agree on paper. I mean, there's a great case to be made that they're going to run away with this title. And I just, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they kind of step into the moment. It's so hard for me to envision a scenario where they don't win the West that it's like, what am I overlooking or what is my blind spot when it comes to this team? Because I just love watching them so much. I feel like it's almost hard to envision, but, but it, it feels like they're a 64 win team that was almost disrespected to some extent throughout the season with people Absolutely. just not, not talking a fluke. Yeah. Like not talking about them in the actual quality that of which that they've played throughout the entire course of the season, it feels like some people still haven't even come along to that. Like it, like it, to me, it is disrespectful that it's you can like, get sons at plus odds to yeah. win the all the stuff that's going on with all the other teams in the Western conference. It blows my mind. So it's been a super competitive season too. Like a lot of the top teams in the Eastern conference were hovering barely above 50 wins, which I think says it all. So for them to win 64 games in this type of season where top to bottom, it feels like the league is as deep as ever. I mean, that's incredibly impressive. Yep. Um, <laughs> I know we, we were planning on going 30 to 45 minutes. and How far we, did we go? I think we went an hour and a half. <laughs> I mean, hey, this is how much we love basketball. We could talk about it literally like all day. Watch this. There's going to be like six people that watch this anyways. But you know what? When uh, when Colin Cowherd listens to it, or Bill Simmons and Russell listen to it, and they pick us up to add us to the, uh, the add us to the wave of podcasts that are on those networks, it's going to have been worth it. Couldn't agree more, man. All right, and real quick, I'm going to put you on the spot, real quick, before we sign off. We've talked way too way too long already, but we have to finish it with this on the record. Give me who plays in the conference finals. Give me who plays in the finals, and give me your NBA champion. Yep, I'm going to go Celtics Heat, Celtics over the Heat in the conference finals. On the west side, I'll go Phoenix over, I guess, Golden State. I don't feel great about it. And then I'll take Phoenix to win the championship. I don't feel great about picking it either, but I, I have Golden State making it to the Western Conference finals. I'll have Phoenix over Golden State in the west. God, I don't know what to do in the East, man. I do not want to pick Miami to make the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know why. I just don't want to. So, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say Milwaukee over Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals. And the Suns get revenge on the Bucks this year. Uh, Suns win the title. Can't wait for it. Cannot wait for it. And for those of you that, that listen to this, and you know, hopefully we get more and more listeners – Looking forward to hearing feedback on it. This is a hobby that John and I are really passionate about. So appreciate everyone tuning in. This was this was so much fun. Uh, I think more content to come as yeah. progress without a doubt.
man, it's just fun, if nothing else, diving into the teams and researching stuff and learning about something that we love uh, and love talking about. So, hey, whether one person listens to this or 100 people listen to this or 100,000 people listen to this, like, it's always fun to catch up and talk about uh, basketball with you, man. So We're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Great. All right. We'll talk soon. All right, buddy. See you, man.